Good morning, loved ones. It's good to be back. Um, if you didn't look at the screens, I pretty much could imagine from the songs we sang, you can kind of get an idea what the sermon's going to be about today. So uh, with that in mind, um, please uh, open your Bibles. It, it was, uh, well, I tell you, it was a long three Sundays for some reason for me, and you know, I truly and dearly missed everyone. I really did. And uh, even on the golf course, you know, I, I prayed for you. I was praying that you guys could see all these great shots I was making. So, but uh, you guys were, were, were dearly missed uh, in my heart. And uh, we have recovered from being sick. And I'm glad to see that other people have recovered from being sick. And so, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy. That's where we'll be today. Uh, 1 Timothy. I have to get to 1 Timothy. Okay. So Jenny had told me before we start that uh, my father-in-law went a little long. And so I was just having him prep you for what's going to happen today. So <laughs> anyways, let's go ahead and uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into what God has to say for us. Father, we just thank you that we can come into your presence, Lord, and we can worship you in song and we can see how gracious you are to us that by grace we are redeemed lord it's your grace that has put christ on the cross for us lord to redeem us father to ransom us from our sin lord and he has done such this for us lord may you be glorified and praised for this father also i would like to pray lord as selena brought a request to me this morning for her friend Athena, who was in a car accident this morning, Lord, they don't know whether she's in the hospital or not, but Father, we know that you are all-knowing, and you know what is going on with Athena, and so Father, we pray that we would rest in that fact, and that you would have your caring and healing hand upon Athena, Lord, and you would give her friends comfort and rest at this time. Likewise with Steve and Brenda, Lord, we bring them to you and just ask for strength for Brenda, for quick healing for Steve, and that your grace would just overflow to them abundantly and they would see this grace in Christ Jesus. So now, Father, I ask that your spirit would come and would uh, accompany the preaching of your word, Lord, that our hearts would be opened, that our eyes would see, that our ears would hear of your tremendous, overflowing, super abundant grace for us and that we would worship and praise you with all your excellencies. Lord, we just ask this in your name. Amen. A gracious salvation. Do we look at our salvation as gracious? That this is God's gracious work in our lives that we are even saved. So we look and we say, how come God doesn't save everybody? Well, the better question would be, is how come God saves anybody? With him being holy and perfect and glorious and excellent in everything that he does, 
Why does he save anybody? Because he doesn't have to. It is his grace. It is his amazing grace. It is his unmerited favor towards sinners that any of us are saved. Martin Luther, a former Catholic monk, the Lord saves. John Newton, a former slave trader, he writes, the, he writes the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is John Newton, and he was a slave trader. He was one of the that brought the slaves over. Charles Colson was an aide to President Nixon involved in the Watergate scandal. C.S. Lewis was a skeptic, along with Josh McDowell. Billy Sunday was a hard-drinking professional baseball player that became an evangelist. In the Bible, the maniac at Gardara the tax collector Matthew, blind Bartimaeus, the adulterous woman in John 4, the thief on the cross, the Roman centurion at the cross, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer, and Lydia, all saved by God's amazing grace. Story after story after story of people that are saved by God's grace. And now we get to see in this section of 1 Timothy, we see Paul's story. Part of Paul's story, not his whole story, but as the Bible tells us, this is part of Paul's story. So look with me and let's read verses 12 through 16 in 1 Timothy. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what Paul is telling us today, is this gracious salvation. I want to look at five areas, five areas within our time that I want to look at. First of all, the first area I want to look at is we see the wellspring. The wellspring of grace or the source of grace that we have. Look at verse, uh, verse 12. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to service. Christ is the wellspring. Christ is the well. We have wells that people drill down deep to get their water from, and the water comes up out of the wells. Christ is that wellspring. He is the only source of all grace. And Paul understood that he was the wellspring of this. Look at what Christ did for Paul. The first thing he does for Paul is he strengthens Paul. He strengthens Paul. We see this in Philippians 4.13 where he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And again in 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul writes, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. But he strengthened Paul for the message, to preach the message of the glorious gospel, which is the gracious gospel, which is the gospel of grace. This is what Paul was strengthened to do by God himself. 
But not only was he strengthened to do this, but he says that he was judged. Paul was judged to be faithful. Now this word judge means to count or consider or, or to esteem, and faithful is trustworthy. So in this verse, what Paul is saying is that Jesus counted him to be faithful with this message. He not only strengthens him by his grace, but he judges him by his grace, and he finds him faithful, finds him trustworthy. And so what does he do? He appoints him to the ministry. He appoints him to the ministry. In Acts 9, Jesus tells Ananias, this is what he tells Ananias to do for Paul. In verse, uh, verse 9 15, he says, But the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument, that's Paul, is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So by grace, Paul was chosen to what? Carry the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. Right? That is why we sit here today, because Paul went to the Gentiles. He preached the gospel of grace. Colossians 1, 24 and 25 says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for, for you to make the word of God fully known. So this is what Paul was set apart for to make the word of God fully known to the church. Christ strengthened him, and he counted him worthy by his grace. He was the wellspring of that grace. Secondly, we see the need of grace. We see the need of grace. Now, when we use the word need, it's, it's really interesting because I think as Americans, as we sit here, we don't consider ourselves to be needy people. But we need grace. That is what we need. We need God's grace. And we need grace in each other's lives. Oftentimes we don't have that grace in each other's lives. We're not gracious with each other. We're, we're, we're mean or we're condescending or, or we're, we're, we're condemning instead of coming alongside and, and being gracious with each other because God has been gracious to us. We forget that. But we are a needy people. We are in need of God's grace. Listen to 1 Timothy 1.13. Paul says this, So formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorant, ignorantly <clears throat> in unbelief. So Paul's need of grace. First of all, he says he was this blasphemer, right? He was a blasphemer. Now, this blaspheme means uh, one who rails against God one who speaks about God, one who uh, hates God, one who challenges God. He was this blasphemer. He rejected the things of God. He says he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a persecutor, one who persecutes, right? That's just simply what it means. So, but Paul was zealous. This was the whole thing, is Paul was zealous for his Judaism, he was zealous for his Judaism. If you flip over to uh, flip over to Philippians chapter three, really quick. If you got your Bibles or you got your phones or whatever you got, zip over to it with your phone. Uh, in chapter three, he writes in verse uh, four. 
He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here, here comes his Judaism. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So, we see that Paul was, in his Judaism, he was a persecutor of the church. He thought he was doing the right things because he was on fire for his Judaism. This is his ignorance. He didn't know the message of Christ. So he was acting out of unbelief. But he was a persecutor of the church. We see that. Also in Acts 8.3, it says, But Saul, who was Paul before, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That would be like somebody coming in here and taking coming in here and taking all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and taking us all and dragging us out of prison. This is the persecution that Saul, who is now Paul, preaching the gospel, did. In Acts 9 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way, that word way, that's the church, any belonging to the way, right? What does Jesus say in Matthew fourteen six? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way. Right? Anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There he comes, there's Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? So we see that Paul was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent. He was an insolent opponent. This is a despiteful opponent, one who is despiteful. But here comes the grace of God, right? In that verse it says, but I received mercy. You see, Paul was one who broke all the Ten Commandments, right? In the, in the, in the message before, we talked about how the law was used. Paul broke all the Ten Commandments. He had other gods besides the God. He had other images. He lied. He cheated. He stole. He murdered. He done all these things. He coveted. Just like you and I, we've done all those things. We've broken God's law. We've lied. And if you haven't sat there and said that you haven't lied, well, you just lied because you lied saying that you didn't lie. And we've done these things. We've coveted. We've murdered. Murdered was, is hateful. We've done all these things. And we've received mercy. Just like Paul has received mercy. Because he acted ignorantly in his unbelief. It wasn't that Paul was uh, a dumb person, because he wasn't. He was very intelligent. But he was ignorant of the gospel. He was ignorant of Christ's work. But when Christ met him on that road in Damascus and showed him, he was obedient to the truth. He was obedient to the truth. He truly understood 
He truly understood Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul understood God's grace. He understood this, and he understood that God had saved him from this. Third, not only do we see this wellspring of grace, this need of grace, but we see the abundance of grace. In 1 Timothy 1.14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So regardless of what Paul was doing, he realized that the grace of the Lord overflowed for him. And this was with love, what was with Christ Jesus. So this word overflowed, it's a compound word, right? When we look in the Greek, this is how we get these things in the Greek. We look at it as overflowed, right? Like if I put water into this cup, if I put water in this cup and kept it going, it would just overflow, right? It's the same thing, right? We can get really technical with a lot of stuff, and we can get where we get a lot of Greek words and stuff like that. But that's simply what it means. It means to overflow. It means to be abundant and everything like that. But what Paul does is he adds this little thing to the front, and Paul does this a lot. It's called hooper, H-U-P-E-R. And what it does, it just intensifies it. So it just means like super, like super, super, super. So it's a super abundant, overflowing grace that Paul is talking about here. What he's saying is that, uh, that the grace of the Lord was super abundant for him. And that led him to faith and love in Christ Jesus. He saw this super abundant, overflowing grace because of him being a blasphemer and a persecutor and insolent. And he sees this abundant grace and it leads him to Christ and faith and love. And we see where faith and love walk hand in hand most of the time in the Bible. We see this, Ephesians 1.15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. To the church of Thessalonica, he writes, Remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly as long as to see us as long as we see you, to see you. So we see this faith and love go hand in hand. So it's the same for us, brothers and sisters. It's the same for us. When that over, that super abundant grace hits us and we're enamored with it, what's the outward flow of it? Faith and love. Faith in Jesus Christ and love for one another and love for the lost. That's what it does. That's what grace does. That's what it does. Fourth, the point of grace. The point of grace. 1 Timothy 15 and 16. This way it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's declaration of grace is this. Here is the point of grace, brothers and sisters. This is the point that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. This was Christ's purpose, was to save sinners. It's a trustworthy statement, meaning that it's sure, it's true, and it's faithful. 
and it's deserving of all acceptance. This is what God is saying to us through the Apostle Paul. He is, he, is, he is coming and he's speaking through Paul saying, this is why my son came into the world, to die for sinners. Is there a requirement for salvation? Yes, there is a requirement for salvation. You have to be a sinner. You have to be a sinner, right? And that's what Christ dealt with, right? When we read the Gospels, who did Christ rail against the most? The religious people. And these burdens that they put on people, they weren't gracious. They were legalists. You have to do, 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 do. This to gain this. And Christ comes in and he says, you want to know what, brothers and sisters? That's what he calls us. He says, I've done this, 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 and this, and this. So you are accepted. Not to do, do, do's. That's what he says. Luke, this is what he says in Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't come to those who didn't need a doctor. He didn't come to those who thought that they were well. He came to those who knew they were sick who were in need of the antibiotic, and he's the antibiotic, right? We, we, we got this COVID thing, right? And they got all kinds of things. Get a shot, you don't get it. You know, you get four shots, you get it, you know? Well, whatever it is, but we're looking for the antibiotic, right? We're looking for the thing that's gonna help us get better and better. And that's the thing, brothers and sisters, when you're a sinner and you see your need of grace and you see your need of Christ, you know you're sick and Jesus is the antibiotic, He's the only one that can heal us. John 3.16 puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is why Jesus came into the world. And Paul writes to the Romans church, right? In Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the point of grace. Christ Jesus came to die for us. And Paul says that he was the foremost. He was the foremost of sinners. This word foremost means best or chief, first, right? Of which I was the best. Paul said he was the best sinner. I would have hung out with that dude. Right In my days, I'd have hung out with that guy. He was probably a lot of fun because he was the best sinner. He was the chief sinner. He was the first sinner. This is how Paul viewed himself in light of God's amazing, marvelous grace. Wow, Jesus came. You want to know it, brothers and sisters? If you were the only one in here to ever sin, Christ would have came and died for you. That's God's love. So, the gospel of grace truly tells us that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus did. So, where does that leave you and I? Where does that leave you and I? Well, this is our story. It's the same story. You and I are saved by this wellspring of grace that saved Paul. It was not a different grace. Every one of us sit here, we are saved by grace. It's not a special grace that was given to Mike and not to me or to Dick 
and not to Selena. No, it's God's grace. It's abundant and it's overflowing and it's there for all of us. It's the same grace that saves us. This is our story. You and I were in need of this grace. We were enemies of God. Romans 5 tells us that we were shaking our fists at God. We were the blasphemer. We were the persecutor. We were the insolent one. And yet God comes and he super abundantly overflows his grace to us and we were in need of this. We sit here today and we should be amazed at this grace and we should be the ones that go out and proclaim this grace, graciously proclaiming this grace of the cross of Christ, that Christ came. He was the God-man, fully God, fully human and he took, uh, he took our sin on the cross and he took our punishment. The song said that um, my debt is paid. That was our debt. When we sin, when we have that one little lie, just that one little lie, God is infinite. And so that's an infinite lie. And it deserves infinite punishment. And without Christ, that infinite punishment is an eternity in hell. But when we repent of that sin, then Christ becomes the infinite sacrifice. And God takes our sin and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it in the, in the sea of forgetfulness and he makes us his children when we repent of our sin and we put our trust in God and paradise now awaits us. Not based upon our works of righteousness, but based upon the sole work of Jesus Christ on the cross because he came to die for sinners. This is our story. This is our story. Therefore, since this is our restorer, our story, we should have the same response as Paul does. Paul goes through and he says, this is the wellspring of grace. This was the one that showed me I needed his grace. This is the abundance of grace. And this was his, re- re- this was his reply. It was worship. It was worship. This is what he says. To the king of the ages immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the King, 1 Timothy 6.15, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the one in Isaiah 6 who sits in the throne room where the seraphims can't even look at him because he is so glorious. We looked at that in his attributes. And his, in his throne room, his, 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 uh, his robe covers all of it because he is the king of kings. No one rivals him and he is our king. Not the White House, brothers and sisters. That is not our king. Our king sits enthroned in high, in glory, in majesty, in heaven. And he reigns sovereign, supreme. And he showers us with abundant grace. Secondly, uh, Isaiah, uh, Psalms 47, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne, and nobody dethrones him, nobody dethrones him, he's not only the king, but he's immortal, 
He's uncorruptible. He is perfect. He is excellent. He sits in absolute beauty in his holiness. Romans 1.23 And they exchange the glory of the immortal God. This is the immortal God, the uncorruptible God. This is, this is us. We exchange the glory for the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. This is what Paul is saying. Is that God is uncorruptible. He is perfectly to be worshipped. Perfectly to be worshipped. He is all glorious. And what do we do? We exchange it. We exchange it and we worship the creature and not the creator. We worship birds and animals, right? That's what he says in creeping things. Boy, we go down when we have this opportunity to worship the glorious God. We sit and worry about other things and we worship other things. He is invisible. No one has seen him. Colossians tells us that if we want to see God, we look at Jesus Christ because it says he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the exact imprint, the exact representation of who God is. If we want to know what God is like, we read the Gospels. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, his attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You want to see God walk out that door and just look at that mountain. Did you guys make the mountain? Did we create the mountain? We didn't create these things. Just look in the mirror. Look at how intricate you are. Right? What did he create first? The blood or the heart? Or what did evolution do first? The blood or the heart? Got to have it all working together. Right? Something can't just evolve. Oh, the heart just can't sit there and say, oh, well, I need some blood. How do I get some blood? No, God perfectly makes us. This is where we see him clearly. Right? We believe the wind exists, right? Everybody, I mean, we live up here. We all believe the wind exists because we have it, right? But do we see it? We don't see the wind. But why, why do we know that the wind is there? Because we feel it and we see the objects it moves. It's the same thing with God. Do we see God? No, but how do we know God exists? Because we see his beauty and creation and he see, we see people. We see how he changes lives. We see what he moves. We know he's real. We know he's there. The sun comes up, the sun sets. Why? Because God has to do it. Not because I do it. So he is glorious in all these things. He's invisible. The writer of the Hebrews, this is what he says with Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He believed in something that was invisible that he couldn't see. This is called faith. This is called faith. And not only this, but God is glorious. <clears throat> he is glorious. First Chronicles 29.11 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is a kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
And in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So to close, brothers and sisters, this is our story. Whether you sit here as a believer or you sit here as an unbeliever, this is your story. As believers, we are in need of his grace. As unbelievers, you're in need of his grace. As believers, we see and we rejoice in the fact that Christ has came and died for our sin. As unbelievers, you sit here and you have to understand that Christ has come and he has died for your sin. And he has taken it and he has removed it as far as the east from the west. Repent of your sin, turn to God and follow him. And may the grace of our God hold our hearts today and bring them to worship him. And may we take comfort in one thing, that God's grace can save the worst of sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time that we can come and look into your word. Lord, I just ask now that you would just deeply implant in us, Lord, your grace and your mercy. That, Father, that we would understand that we have received this mercy from you. We've received this grace from you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would just be open to your grace today, Lord, that we would be hearing you call us to you. In your name, amen. Please, let's stand as we sing our last song.